Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. So a couple weeks ago or months ago, I found this Instagram account called Kids Getting Hurt, and I love it. (laughs) It's not the most mature or Christ-like thing about my life right now, but it's just endless videos of kids doing dumb things that hurt them, not badly, but just mildly, and it's funny. And I saw one the other day that killed me. I laughed, but my heart really went out to the kid because he got his head stuck in a chair in a very public place. And clearly that lady who's with him has no idea at all how to help him out. And I watched it and I was like, oh man, if that was me when I was a kid and it totally could have been, my mom would have been so mad. Like not even empathetic, like, oh, Michael, what happened? Let me help you out. No, not the kind of mom I had. She's the best and I love her, but she would have started with, why are you always so embarrassing? <laughs> your cousin's wedding starts in 15 minutes. Get your head out of that chair. I don't care if your ears bleed. And I just like, I don't have any specific memories of getting my head stuck in a chair, but I do resonate with that kid because I've done plenty of dumb things that left me feeling stuck. I think all of us have, Right. And last week, Jeff talked about how easy it is to find ourselves in a space we don't want to be with a really clear picture of where we'd like to get to, but a deep sense of hopelessness about our ability to actually navigate the path to that place. And he encouraged us to begin by taking one small step. And this morning, I want to build on that challenge by reminding you that wherever you are and whatever that one small step may be, you don't have to take it alone. If, if you're willing to ask for help, if you're willing to admit that you got yourself stuck and maybe you can't get yourself unstuck all by yourself. There's a cool story about King Frederick the Great in the 18th century. He was touring this prison in Berlin, and as he walked through, all the prisoners just fell to their knees and cried out that they were innocent, and and they wanted him to set them free, except for one guy who just stood alone silently in the corner of his cell. And this kind of surprised the king, and so he called out, you there, why are you here? And the man softly replied, armed robbery, your honor. He said, well, are you guilty? He said, yes. I'm guilty and I'm here because I deserve the punishment for my crime. And King Frederick was so taken aback by that that he called the jailer and he said, guard, release this guilty wretch at once. I cannot have him kept in this prison where he'll corrupt all the fine, innocent people who are kept here. (laughs) Now, I've never been a king, so I don't know that I can speak intelligibly to it, but I think that's just good kinging right there. Like that's That's just a good job. And I also think I would have totally been one of the guys who was crying out that I'm blameless and innocent and I should be set free and not the guy who just admitted it and told the truth because it's hard to admit our mistakes, especially to other people. But the tragedy of that is that our brokenness, our messes, our worst moments can really easily become prisons that hold us back from the lives God says we were made for, that inhibit us from taking that one small step after another small step after another small step to the future God wants for our lives. And that's especially true when we feel like we have to hide the reality 
of our souls. When we feel like we got to cover up our worst moments and our brokenness and our mistakes so that nobody else ever finds out about them. I want to be clear about something. Before I say anything else, I want to be explicitly clear about this. The beauty of the gospel is that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will reach into the worst, grossest, dirtiest spaces in your life and make them clean. No matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, you can be forgiven forever, completely, past, present, and future. But the truth is, if you want to live right now into the fullness of what that means, if you want to move from where you are to who God says he dreamed you up, knit you together, and put you on this planet to be, then there's another dimension that comes into play. We need to confess our mess. And not just vertically to God, but to a community of people around us who love us and can link arms with us and walk toward that future alongside us. You guys, confession is one of the most powerful tools in our toolbox. I realize it's kind of a loaded word, depending on how you grew up and the the tradition you come from. When you hear the word confession, you might think sitting in the booth talking to a priest. Or you might think laying in bed at night trying to come up with the whole list of sins that you committed in any given day so you can tell God about it, ask for forgiveness before you go to sleep. Or if you grew up completely outside of a church setting, you might hear the word confession and think about like an interrogation room at a police station where there's a good cop, bad cop thing. They're trying to get a suspect to spill the beans. Like whatever it is for you, we have pictures in our minds when we hear the word confession. And the thing of it is, like, most of those pictures, no matter what your tradition is, and no matter what image popped in your mind when you heard that, are profoundly unhelpful as it relates to moving toward what God is actually drawing us and inviting us towards. Because when we talk about confessing our sins, if we're honest, the way most of us think about it is that what happens is, whether it's in the confessional booth or at our bedside table, our sin bucket gets emptied. So then we can take our empty bucket back out into the world with us and just fill it again. And then we go empty it again, and then we go fill it again and empty it again. And this is a system that's working for us, right? We can go sin all we want, and then we just dump out the guilt on the regular. And the thing about that is, like, every religious system, like, every religion in the world outside of Christianity and every stream of Christianity, when it's not self-conscious and careful, tends to do this. Religious systems tend to seek out specific behaviors that basically trick God into forgiving us anyway. We look for loopholes so that we can check off some boxes, and no matter what we did and no matter how frequently we've done it, God's compelled to save us or absolve us anyway. Like, we want to cling to our sin and our salvation all at the same time. We want to be blessed while we're still holding on to our mess. And the thing about loopholes is, first of all, it's incredibly arrogant to think that we can fool God and that he's like you know, surprised by the loophole that we found. He didn't think of that. But also, and more importantly, it's missing the big idea of what he invited us into. It's missing the pathway to who he created us to be. It's missing the whole point of confession in the first place. And this whole system of confession to a priest was introduced about 600 AD. It's not a Bible thing, It's not a bad thing. It's just not a Bible thing. It literally got invented by the church because the church realized there is real power and there is real liberation in getting the weight of our worst moments off of our chest. But the interesting thing about it is that it's become this 
thing, this system called penance. And penance comes from repentance, but repentance is actually way, way worse than penance. Because penance is a list of things you can do in order to be good. Like, here's your list, do this stuff, jump through these hoops, and then you're okay. But repentance, actually both words, come from this, this Latin root word penitentia, which means to feel regretful sorrow over an action such that you turn from it and never do it again. Like back in the day, you guys, you could only confess a specific sin to a priest one time. For hundreds and hundreds of years, you got one chance because the expectation was after you'd confessed it, you would repent and never do it again. That's an intense system. I like penance better than I like repentance because I got some stuff I still want to keep doing. There's some hidden sin in my life, and I don't know that I want to get rid of it just yet. So if you can give me some boxes to make me feel better about them, that's a little bit easier than telling me I have to actually turn my heart so dramatically that I don't do it anymore. And I introduced this bit of church history to us to help us see that somehow, collectively, we have this idea about confession and repentance that just doesn't match up with reality. I don't know how we got there. Maybe somebody told us, or maybe we just made it up, but most of us in this room believe that confession to God or to each other is basically an exercise in absolving our guilty conscience. We just want to get rid of the bad feelings, and so we confess to God. We're like, oh man, I'm feeling kind of bad. I should tell God about that sin so I feel better. Oh man, I did that terrible thing to her. I should confess that to her so I don't feel so bad anymore. And the thing is, if confession is just about my own feelings and my own conscience, then it's an incredibly self-centered, self-righteous, self-focused, self-obsessed thing to do. I only do it so I feel better. But the truth is, we've come to believe confession is an exercise in clearing our conscience. I'll tell you what, if you open up the Bible and you read the entire thing, cover to cover, you will find a whole lot about confession, but you will never once, not ever, find confession and conscience tied together in the same verse. And it's because God is after a bigger project than making us feel a little bit better. Jesus didn't step out of eternity into the human story so we could feel a little bit better or even be a little bit better. He stepped out of eternity into the human story so we could be free, so we could be forgiven and healed, so we could move from where we are to the future he dreamed us up to live. Jesus came to set all things right and make all things new. So this confession thing God invites us into, it's about more than absolving our guilty feelings in a self-serving way, where we say this prayer to God about how we're sorry for what we did, and then we do it again a couple days later, and we say that same prayer again and again and again, and nothing actually happens in our lives. Confession is about change. It's about transformation. It's about being saved people who begin to live like our Savior, who walk out the doors of our churches and look like Jesus in a dark and broken world. Confession creates change. It does. It it provides us with this space where we can be honest about the stuff in our past that's holding us back so that we can move in to the future God has for us. But there's a catch. 
See, all those times in the Bible where God talks about confession, they're always about telling other people our deepest, darkest secrets. Yeah, other people, not God, other people. If you're wondering, like nine of you made that exact face, like other people, no, 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 no. I like the prayer thing. I can do the thing where I'm talking to God. And sometimes it's about talking to God also, which is a whole lot easier. But again, and again, and again, and again, God invites us to be real and honest with each other about the mistakes that we've made, about the people that we've hurt, even if they don't know it, about the deepest, darkest corners of our soul that we have hoped for years no one would ever shine a light on. And the truth is, when we're able to do that, when we open up and do life and faith alongside each other, we get something called accountability. And accountability ensures change. Because when other people know about your mess, you kind of only have one option. You got to clean it up. Community is a gift. It's a gift to be loved despite our fears, despite our faults, and despite our failures in a way that allows us to link arms with other people that can help us move forward. And as scary as that is, as intimidating as it is, to even think about being honest with the stuff we've hoped no one ever found out about. I want to look at a couple Bible stories today to help us get a bigger, better picture of what God's actually inviting us into. We're going to start in the book of Numbers. So if you have a Bible or a Bible handy, you can crack it open to Numbers. It's the fourth book. In there, it's not very far from the beginning. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the words on the screen or in the Revision app. And if you need a Bible or your kids need a Bible, we have a whole bunch of them for all ages back at the Next Steps table along with reading plans. We love it when they disappear. No strings attached. Just take one. And we're going to be in Numbers chapter 5, just a little bit of background. God has just rescued the nation of Israel from 400 years of slavery in Egypt, which is awesome, but they kind of have no idea how to function as a society. When you're a slave, you don't have to think for yourself. You just do what you're told. And so God is trying to shape them into a people that he can use to, to light up the darkness of the world and draw people to himself. And so he gives them a whole set of laws and confession is a part of that. It's baked into the way their society functions. And in Numbers chapter five, verse six, this is what God says. He's talking to Moses. He says, tell the Israelites, Moses, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and is so unfaithful to the Lord, is guilty. Anyway, this is intense. God says anything you do that hurts somebody else, whether it's with words or physical violence or neglect or you stole from them, anything you do that hurts somebody else actually puts you wrong with God. And we kind of like to separate those, don't we? Like we like to go to church and do the prayer thing. We're like, God, I love you so much, but I cannot stand her. God, I love you so much, but I hate that guy's guts, but I'm sorry for hating him. So we're good, right? And God's like, no, no, no. We are not good. You can't be good with me if you got hate in your heart towards her. I made her. I love her. You can't be hating other people and be okay with me, and I don't know about you guys, but that really messes up my whole confession strategy. Because I want to be able to come to God and be like, God, I'm sorry for, I shouldn't have sent that text to my mom about James is the worst brother in the world and he smells weird. I shouldn't have did it. I feel bad. Please forgive me. We're good now, right? And what I want God to say is, yes, Mike, you told me. You don't have to apologize to your mom for saying that about her favorite kid. 
Don't tell James. Also, he is the worst. I think he's the diabetes. It's like, don't worry, you're okay. But unfortunately, that's just not what God says in verse 7. He says, verse 6 is like, any man or woman who wrongs another in any way and is so unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they've committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong they've done, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the person they've wronged. God just ratcheted things up a level. We got a whole other R word. We've talked repentance, which means turning from the sin, from the bad thing that you did, and reconciliation, which is reconnecting with the person you hurt, but restitution means paying them back. God's like, step one, admit you made a mistake. Step two, tell somebody you made that mistake, the person you hurt. And step three, set it right. God is in the business of setting things right. And he says, if you're sorry for the way You've wounded the people around you. Confess it to them, not just me. Confess it to them and everybody and then take steps to make it right. Pay them back 120% of the value of whatever you broke. Pay them back. This whole confession thing in God's system is about repentance, reconciliation, and restitution. So that's the law in the nation of Israel for like hundreds and hundreds of years. And then Jesus shows up and and one day he's walking along the road and there's this crowd of people and they're they're trying to get to him. They want him to heal them. And there's a little short dude who can't see. So he climbs up in a tree. And a lot of you are familiar with this story. What's that guy's name? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. If you grew up in Baptist Sunday school, you know a whole song about him, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. I was thinking about this week while I was reading about it. It's like, or thinking about that while reading it. That's so rude. We're going to have a bunch of people who grew up as kids in Sunday school. We're going to see him in heaven. He's going to be there. And you'll be like, hey, you're the tax collector. Good to meet you, Zach. Like, people are going to do that to him. And it's not fair. But anyways, he was a tax collector, which is in the first century, its own special category of awful human. There are people who collected taxes for the Roman government. And as long as the Romans got their share... They didn't care how much they overcharged everybody else. And so he basically stole from his friends and his neighbors. And it's hard to overstate how much people hated these guys. Like everywhere in the Gospels where you read about the, like, the self-righteous Pharisees and religious leaders and they're looking down on the bad folks, they say the tax collectors and sinners separately because sinners didn't want to be lumped in. They're like, yeah, I've stabbed a couple people, but I'm not collecting taxes. Like, that's how bad these guys were. And Jesus shows up, and he sees Zacchaeus in the tree. He's like, hey, man, I'm coming to your house. We're going to hang out. And that shocked everybody, including Zacchaeus. And then at this come to Jesus meeting, like literally Jesus was at the meeting, Jesus opens up his soul, and he shines a light on some of that dark stuff Zacchaeus had tried to keep hidden. And Zacchaeus is like, oh, man, my life is a mess. I'm not just wrong with God. I'm not just acting unethically. I've actually hurt the people around me. And there's steps that have to be taken in order to make things right. And he says, behold, here now I give half my possessions away to the poor. And it's this cool, incredible moment that shows us how much confession creates change. When Zacchaeus is able to admit it, to speak it out loud, his heart begins to be transformed. And he's not even finished yet. He keeps on going. He goes, if I've cheated anybody, and everyone's laughing, right? They're like, if, if, I don't have a new boat because you have a new boat, if, tax collector, because if I've cheated anybody, 
I'll pay them back four times the amount. Remember the law, how much did he owe them? 120%. 120% was the law, and Zacchaeus is like, no, 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 no. I need repentance so bad. I need reconciliation so bad. I want restitution so bad. I'm cranking it to 11. 120% is not enough. I'm paying back 400% of what I stole. It's crazy because Jesus responds to him in verse 9. He says, Zacchaeus, thou must not get carried away. Thou hast confessed thine sins in private to me, and that is enoughth. Jesus is eloquent, you guys. He's a wordsmith. But in the spirit of confession, you might not guess this, but that was a lie. That is not what Jesus said. It's not what Jesus said to him at all. Zacchaeus realized in this moment of confession, in this moment of having a light shine in the dark spots in his soul, that he needed to take some steps forward. And Jesus actually responded by saying, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus says, listen, this right here is what I'm about in the world. Zacchaeus, you get it. I'm not about making you feel a little bit better. I'm not about making you be a little bit better. I came to set all things right and make all things new. And so this system where you keep living with your secrets, where you keep hiding your mistakes, where you keep living in the prison they create for you, that is not the system I want for you any longer. This idea that you are going all out, that your heart has changed, that you've done a 180, that is why I came. That's what I'm here for. And the crazy thing is, after this moment, we don't read about Zacchaeus anymore in the New Testament. We don't hear about him again. But I can guarantee you one thing. He didn't steal anymore because confession creates change and his heart had been profoundly transformed. I'm gonna look at one more passage this morning. It's actually the only command to confess in the entire New Testament. It's found in the book of James chapter five. And this is what James writes. He says, therefore, confess your sins. Let's read this part in bold all at once. You ready? To each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Now, without getting into a whole bunch of linguistics, Greek mumbo jumbo about participles and dependent clauses, you're going to have to trust me on this. I'm a words nerd. This is what I do. That phrase, so that you may be healed, is tied to both verbs, confess and pray. This is not a verse where James is saying, confess your sins to each other and then also pray so you may be healed. He's saying, confess and pray so that you may be healed. Confession allows healing to happen in our lives because it creates space for us to be honest about the places where we've been most broken. But it's hard. It's hard to do. We don't mind our like one-on-one confession thing to God when we're laying at bed at night because no one else has to know. But that to each other part gets real complicated because it's not fun. And who's each other anyway? Like, what does he mean when he says we're supposed to confess to each other? Just do me a favor. Will everyone stand up real quick? All right, stand up. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do two spins, two 360s, like a 720. It can be in the same direction. If you're neurotic like me, you can go both directions so that you're even at the end of it. Keep your eyes wide open. Try to make awkward eye contact with someone and just peer into their soul be like, I know you're all messed up. I know you got stuff to confess. Look at them. All right, now you can sit down. All those people you just looked at, especially the one you made awkward eye contact with, that's who? 
That's the each other. James is like the church. We're supposed to be a community that acknowledges all of us are messed up. All of us are in the same boat. It's called hopeless without Jesus. And so we can confess to each other in a way that allows us to help each other out and to walk this journey together. That's what the church is for. One of our core values at Revision Church is that in Jesus we're loved. That's who we are. And loved people do life with people. Everything we do here filters through that lens. How can we take this difficult journey together. That's what house groups are all about. It's about getting into a space where you can do life and faith with some folks who love you, despite the fact that you're all sorts of messed up. Some people you can be honest with about your fears, your faults, and your failures who aren't going to take that and reject you, but they're going to take it and welcome you in, grab a shovel, and help you clean up your mess. That's what it's all about. Community is so critical, and I get it. I'm not up here like as some sage on a stage who thinks this is easy. I understand every emotion going through your souls right now. Like, I do not want to do that at all. It doesn't sound fun. It sounds really, really hard. But I promise you that confessing the deepest, darkest struggles of your soul to other people opens up your life to the opportunity to hear two of the most powerful words in the English language. Me too. Me too. So many of us, I know this, are sitting here right now believing that our junk is just ours. We got an enemy telling us you're alone, you're isolated, no one else struggles with that. You're the worst of all time to struggle with that. No one could understand what you're going through. No one will even believe that you're that broken and that awful, that you would do that thing. And that voice whispers in our ear constantly that we are isolated and alone. And when we're willing to have the courage to just admit what we're struggling with, what happens is a whole bunch of people say, oh yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know exactly where you're at. Me too. And if we're willing to do that and just stop doing this thing where we sin and then we pray a couple days later, God, I'm so sorry. And then we do the same thing and a couple days later, God, I'm, I'm so sorry. We can find some freedom because what I think God wants when he hears that is like, stop telling me, I know. I would like for you to tell somebody else so you can actually move Forward. I don't want that from you. This isn't a box to check so that you're okay with me. I want it for you because I love you too much to watch you carry the weight of this any longer. It's crushing you. I don't want it to be a prison that you live in. You weren't made to live with the chair around your head, kid. Tell somebody so they can help you get it off of there. And I, I know some of us are living with the chair around our head. We got a hidden habit. And we keep on telling God we're sorry, and then we keep on diving straight back into the same dirt pile. And it's silly. It's kind of like this, I think. If I stole your credit card, right, and I didn't go wild on it, I just charged a little bit here and a little bit there, a couple hundred bucks a month maybe, so you didn't notice for a really, really long time, but eventually you look through your statement, you're like, something is wrong here, and you kind of traced it and found me, and you caught me red-handed, you're like, Mike, you stole my credit card. You've been charging stuff on there. It's kind of like me responding, oh, it's okay. I'm a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's wrong to steal. 
It's in the Bible. So I just want you to know every time I charge something to your card, I felt real bad about it, told God before I went to sleep so he would forgive me. And also, I'm a Christian. I've been supporting my church with that. I set up a little recurring online giving thing, just, you know, kind of guy I am. So it's, it's all right. What would you say to that? Would you be like, oh, Mike, I'm sorry for confronting you. I didn't realize you'd already made it good with God. Thank you for being so generous with my money. Like, <laughs> if you would say that, let me be the first to make you this offer. I'd love a minute alone with your wallet after this service. I was keeping it real. But you wouldn't say that because it's not okay. It's not okay that I said sorry to God. And if I kept on doing it and telling God I'm sorry, I'm not even sorry. I'm just a hypocrite playing games with God and my conscience. But there are a lot of us living like that. We're in that boat. And I know some of you right now, you're thinking, that's me. I know exactly what it is. I know exactly what that thing is that's eating away at my soul that feels like a thousand pound weight weighing me down, that's, that's keeping me in a prison. It's that thing I got on the side that I hope my wife never finds out about. It's that place where I'm just, you know, crossing that ethical line a bit at work because I got to get that promotion and then I won't cross the ethical line anymore. It's, it's that class that I'm cheating in, just that class. I got to get the grade so that I can get the scholarship. And if I don't get the grade in the scholarship, there's got, there's like, I'm not going to cheat in all my classes. I'm not going to go to college and cheat. I'm just going to cheat in just this one class. It's that little lie that I'm telling. And it's, it's, it's just that. And I know it's not right, but I have no plans to confess it at least until I get caught. And if that's you, here's my one small step for you this morning. One small step. Would you just please be honest with God about that? Instead of praying, God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me for the same stuff. Would you just tell him, God, I'm sorry, but not sorry enough not to do it. That thing I just did, I am going to do that again, at least until I get caught. Then I'm going to definitely be praying that you'll deliver me from all the consequences of it. But I'm probably just, I'm going to do it again because I feel like it. Amen. Could you just please pray that? Some of you are horrified right now. Like, I don't think I could pray that. I could never talk to a holy God like that. Why not, you chicken? He knows. What do we do? Like we, we go through life thinking that the God who spoke all of this into motion is like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad he told me. How else would I have figured it out? Like he already knows. Just tell him the truth. Be like, God, I feel bad about this, but not bad enough to quit. Also, help me have a great day and bless my oatmeal. Like, don't make me stand up here and pretend I'm the only one who does this. I know I'm not. But my confession game is not working, and neither is yours. It's settling for stock when we were born to live free. And my challenge, to be honest with God about this, is basically a desperate plea that maybe, just maybe, telling God the truth will be so uncomfortable for us that we stop lying to ourselves. And that ultimately we realize we do want God's beauty and healing and hope and future more than we want the sin that's imprisoning us now. Like if you want to get unstuck, if you want to move from where you are to the place God has for you, tell God, trust that he will forgive you completely. It doesn't matter what it is, what you, where you've been, he will forgive you completely. But then also tell somebody else. Tell the person that you hurt. Tell the person that you lied to. Tell an accountability partner, tell your spouse, tell your house group, tell God, and then tell another human. There are habits and addictions and sin patterns in this world that you will never be set free of if God is the only one you tell. 
Every addict and Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous can tell you that. And it's not because God isn't powerful. It's because God chose when he created the world to unleash his power in our lives through one another. He built us to do life together. It's how he hardwired humanity. Community's a gift. And if you're not connected to one, get connected to one. You're 100% welcome to connect to this one if you don't have one. And just as long as you're okay with the fact that we are all jacked up. Like, we are going to get it wrong, corporately and individually. I'm going to get it wrong. Not just on a leadership level, but on a personal human level as a leader. I can't stand up here ever and offer you perfection, just confession. Just the honesty to admit it when I screw things up. And it's a gift to me. It's a gift to me and it's a gift to all of us to have a group of people who love us enough to walk with us from the brokenness of our past to the beauty of our future. We can do that. We can do that. We can be a community like that. But you know what our biggest hangup is? We're afraid of the consequences of, pe- of people knowing. Like, we don't do it. We won't do it because we're, we, we fear the consequences of confession more than we fear the consequences of concealment. You know why? Because concealment hasn't blown up in our face yet. It hasn't. But it will. We know that. We've been around the block enough. Everyone in this room, other than maybe Jackson, has been alive, or Carter, I can't tell from here. But everyone in the room except for him has been alive long enough to know it's blowing up in our face at some point. And then it's going to be so much worse. I remember when my daughter Emma was like five years old. She learned to write, and she began writing her name all over my house in a ballpoint pen. And I confronted her about that. I was like, are you, are you writing your name all over the place? And she decided to cover up her, her bad behavior. She's like, no, no. So I showed her these. <laughs> and there was no amount of convincing on God's green earth that was going to make me believe her three-year-old twin brothers had suddenly learned to write, but only her name, right? That didn't go good for Emma, but so many of us are living like that. We're like little Emma. We, we go through life with five-year-old logic. Like, I know it has blown up for me every time in the past, but this one I can keep hidden. And man, I want us to be free from that. It's not a way to live. It's not a way to live. When we don't address our mistakes, you guys, what we do is we end up smuggling our struggle from our past into our future. We let the places we've been and wish we hadn't inhibit the places that we're going. And the consequences of that will last our entire lifetime if we let them. But when we confess, we kill that stuff off. That moldy, gross stuff cannot live in the light of day. And when we become a community of people who confess humbly alongside one another, who clean up each other's messes, then all of us get to live free. And so the question I want to leave you with this morning is, is what do you need to tell and who do you need to tell? What do you need to tell and who do you need to tell? Identify it this week and go do it. Your future depends on it. Not your eternity, not your salvation. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven completely past, present, and future. Your eternity does not depend on it, but you can get to heaven smelling like hell. 
1 Corinthians 3 tells us some of us will be saved as though barely escaping the flames. We're saved with the stench of sin all over us, but we don't have to be. I promise you, you were not made to live with the chair stuck on your head, even if you're the dumb one who stuck your head in there. You weren't made to live like that. So what do you need to tell and who do you need to tell so they can help you get that chair off and you can live free? It may not be fun right away, but I promise you will not look back and regret it. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you for giving us each other. Thank you for giving us community. Thank you that we don't have to do this difficult, sometimes seemingly impossible journey alone. Thank you for the gift of community, for the gift of people who love us enough to wade into our messes with us and link arms and help us move from where we are to the places you have for us. I pray, God, that you give us the courage to be a community like that and the love to be a community like that so that not only can we be set free to move from where we are one small step at a time to the future you have for us, but also we can be a community that shines a light into the darkness and pours out your love all over the messed up, broken people around us in a way that draws them to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.